This episode is brought to you by Vinterra Farms. Vinterra offers quality organic CBD grown right in the state of California. Offering a variety of products from full-spectrum tinctures to gummies to muscle rubs to capsules, you're sure to find a product that meets your needs and lifestyle. I had the unique opportunity of working on the farm where the hemp for these products was grown, and I can tell you firsthand that these products feature hemp that was grown responsibly and harvested ethically. For 15% off your entire purchase plus free shipping, head to VinterraFarms.com and type in promo code HAUNTED15 at checkout. That's V-E-N-T-E-R-R-A Farms.com, promo code HAUNTED15. Thank you for supporting California farmers and farm workers. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Back to Let's Get Haunted with your host, Matt Strong and Allie. Welcome back, guys, to episode 75. And today is a very special episode because we have brought on someone who I consider to be a paranormal expert guest. And I'd love to just get right into it and introduce him to the audience. Camuela Conachero attended magic school as a child and became a magician member of LA's Magic Castle. Camu is a 20-year veteran of the film and TV industry and was a professional Comic-Con panelist who has written a master's thesis on Batman. Camu was born and raised in Hawaii. He's part Asian and Native Hawaiian, whose family has the rare distinction of having a confirmed direct lineage to Hawaiian royalty. And Kamu has assisted individuals and businesses with the supernatural and conducted private paranormal investigations. This makes him the ideal host for his podcast, Legends from the Pacific, which combines his passion for mythology, writing, production, and the supernatural. Hi, Kamu, and welcome to the show. How are you today? Hello, Kamu. Aloha. Thank you for having me here. Um, It's great to be here. Yeah, Yeah. we're so excited. Natalia, what do you think of that intro? That is, this is like maybe the most expert guest we've ever had. Yeah, I'm pretty starstruck right now, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. I I credit my um, friend of mine who's a New York Times bestseller for writing that that bio for me i'm like i don't really have a bio he's like all right you one and i'm like okay thanks well, so. he did you a solid that is an amazing uh intro there i'm really just interested in hawaii in general i like the fact that you like said aloha i'm like oh wow that's really cool you know it's just a cool <laughs> culture we try it's all right <laughs> well whenever we have a guest on here we like to kind of start with a series of questions just to get a baseline on what your beliefs and experiences are with the paranormal so i was kind of wondering maybe a good starting point is um, what kind of got you interested in the paranormal or the supernatural in general is there yeah. like an event in your life that kind of spurred this interest or was it a series of events um i'd say that my Okay, so Hawaiians, we have these um, ancient knowledge individuals known as kahunas, and more of the modern take of it were like what we refer to as tutu kanes or tutu ladies. Tutu is Hawaiian for grandmother, Mm -hmm. but then uh, with rank as well as power or mana, that would actually transfer to 
the from the women or from our mothers. Oh. So women were considered stronger and my great grandmother was considered from what i understand she was considered a tutu lady so she was very into this the more spiritual mystical side of hawaiians mm -hmm. and our culture and she there's a story that i was told that stated that when my mother was pregnant with me my grandmother had a dream and she was holding me this was before I was born. Mm. And uh, I believe it was my, someone asked them to, to see me. And so she turned to face the person and she said that it, she didn't see me. She saw a baby owl in a pink blanket. And she, my, I believe it was my great grandmother, the Tutu lady. She would say, she said that this individual is gonna be different from our family. Wow. In the sense that our family, each Hawaiian family has a different aumakua or spirit guardian. And my aumakua became the owl or pueo, which is why she saw me as a baby owl. Oh, wow. And I was wrapped and I was wrapped in a pink blanket. And they were like, it's it's not they're like, it, it's going to be a, a, a girl. And she said, no, it's going to be a boy. Wow. And the reason why I was wrapped in a pink blanket was because they ran out of blue blanket. Oh wow. my gosh, so. that's so Wait, interesting. So are you saying so that's in real life they ran out of blue blankets and you were wrapped in a pink blanket as a baby, but then yes. your grandmother also had this dream that your spirit animal is wrapped in a pink blanket the same way that you were? Wow. That is so that's, cool. Yep, that's exactly what happened. Super cool. So that was the... One of the first things, and then from there, uh, my family lineage um, has been confirmed. Uh, the Bishop Museum is the, like the Smithsonian of the Pacific, mm. and they acknowledge our lineage. So they said that it, it was a big deal when my uh, uh, my great uncle, Homer Hayes, he actually put everything together and uh, it was authenticated. It, it made front page newspaper news that day back in the 70s wow so so it really so literally this kind of um i don't know if mysticism is the right word or maybe um sensitivity to the supernatural kind of runs through your veins yeah uh that's i've been people have stated that i was the um i've been the incarnation of like x files and such and everything where it's i actually am sensitive but it, it's also not just in hawaii i've actually gone uh to the mainland and have been called to do paranormal investigations, and I've actually been very accurate there too. Wow! So that's very. Cool. Um, I would say that um, I've done my own investigations, like I mentioned before, and things were people would call me up, and I would help them. I recently helped an, an individual. Some friends called me, and a friend of theirs was having issues, and I was able to help them out and gain light into what was going on. My own investigations, I would say there was a, I cannot say specifically, but there was a golf course that was having issues and they called me in um, unofficially and to deal with it. And something about Hawaii golf courses is we have a lot of golf courses and they're usually out in or near sugarcane fields. The key thing about sugarcane fields is that part of the harvesting of the sugarcane is they would light it on fire, a controlled fire to burn, mm. to harvest mm. it easier. And when that happens, people would actually dump bodies in there before the fire. Oh. And then when, when, the, when the fire happened, the control blaze, 
it was not uncommon people would find charred remains there oh so, wow that's haunted then, yeah i really don't like that yeah so when all that cleared out the uh golf courses were developed but the spirits remained there so do wow. you that practice of throwing dead bodies into the sugarcane fields prior to them being burned was that is that like a recent thing or is this like 1800s this was i would say early 1900s oh, okay possibly earlier uh, when during the the sugarcane time of hawaii but uh yeah there there were in fact there was a story one of the stories that i encountered there one of my investigations encountered a uh, a spirit that is said to have been a korean bar hostess i'm not sure if you wanted me to go into that yeah absolutely i was actually my next question on my list was do you have any like specific paranormal experiences that like really stick out in your mind. So it sounds like that's one of them. So I'd love to hear about it. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to go out, explain more when we get into the episode. But um, with this incident, the groundskeepers told me what they were experiencing. And I did not tell the group that I was with because I wanted to remain neutral. And I just I kept asking them, what do you see? What do you feel? What's going on? And they were saying, yeah, I hear this sort of like this thing this rustling. And I'm like, okay. So we went further towards where the entity was spotted. And I'm like, what do you hear now? And they said, that rustling is louder. And I'm like, okay. And we went closer and closer and the rustling kept getting louder and louder. Later on, when the investigation was over, I asked one of the girls that was with me, do you have a brush? And she's like, yeah, I have a brush. And I'm like, can you, and she had long hair. And I said, can you brush your hair and she brushed her hair and the group said that was the rustling we heard it was someone brushing their hair that's so creepy and i said that makes sense because the entity or ghost we were investigating it is said that back in the day two sailors were trying to have their way with a bar hostess that was giving them a hard time. They ended up kidnapping her, raping her, killing her, and decapitating her, and leaving her body in the uh, sugarcane field. Oh. The sugar, uh, the sugarcane field became a uh, golf course, and the maintenance crew claim they have encountered her wandering around the golf course, carrying her decapitated head, brushing her long black hair, calling out to them to buy her a drink. I just got the chills. Yeah, see, this is why I don't golf. (laughs) I'm not going to learn ever. Well, you can golf in the daytime. It's fine. (laughs) You know, it's not big deal. Yeah, I I don't golf because I used to be the golf cart girl uh, when I was in my teens, and I saw what alcohol does to uh, middle-aged men that are unemployed, and so I was like, you know what? <laughs> Never going to be into golfing, but now this is just another reason. I also don't right. want to see like a tortured soul while I'm golfing. That's a fantastic yeah, yeah. story and also very horrifying. I hope her soul finds rest one day. Someone should release her. Well, we try to, but um, we were disrupted. Mm. So we that's why our investigation was cut short mm. because I would have attempted to try and reach out. Wow. And do you think that that was one of the most um, impactful experiences that you've had to date um, regarding the paranormal? I have a few others that 
just really come to mind. I, I can't really pinpoint one. I mean, there was another time that was just weird. Um, because of my lineage, I it is believed that we are protected from spirits and such. I was on the big island of Hawaii um, in Hilo, and Madame Pele, the fire goddess, she that's she is on all the islands, but I feel that she is that is her domain, like the big island. Mm-hmm. And um, while I'm normally very cavalier about things in the paranormal and ready to encounter things, this one time I realized I was alone on Hilo and I was in Pele's domain. And so I kind of had to, that realization came to me and I was eating dinner at at a hotel and normally there was like a beach where people would end up playing in the water a lagoon i'm sorry a lagoon area Mm -hmm. and so people were playing in the beach and going into the water and such but it just so happened this day where the tiki torches were being lit sun was going down there was a chill in the air and people were not swimming anymore because it was cold i saw this woman walk out to the beach and she had like a wrap on and everything and she was directly in front of me and she walked right into the water, unaffected by anything. I didn't think anything of it, but then I realized, one, she didn't have any belongings, like a purse or even cell phone. Mm. This was recent. Two, she didn't have a towel. Mm. And after a while, I was like, okay, and then she was swimming, and I kind of noticed that she was looking right at me from where she was swimming in the lagoon and not changing any any like her eye contact or anything and then she started walking or coming towards me from the lagoon area i was finishing up my dinner i signed my check and i left by this time i happened to look up and she was still on a straight path walking out of the water onto the beach towards me now she's about 75 yards away but or 50 yards now by this by this time. So I signed the check and I left the restaurant. To leave the restaurant, I had to take, uh, if you're looking at her, left. So I went left, then it was down a hallway. So it was not really the same area. But when I was walking towards the hallway, big glass doors were reflecting me. Mm-hmm. And I saw in the reflection, she was walking on the beach straight towards me the back of me dripping with seawater just not paying attention to the wind the cold the chill in the air nothing so creepy i went into the the hotel and i just went to my room i was quickly trying to get the elevator doors to close and everything but i could not shake the feeling that i was going to expect to see her in a reflection or even when the doors opened (gasps) on my floor that's horror. Oh that's yeah. I don't, that's so scary. That really gives me the feeling. Have you ever seen the movie The Ring? Yeah. 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 You know how she's always. It was very similar. Yeah. Yes. There's something very scary about that. See, I, if that was me, I would have been like, I can't go to my room because of the exact reason you said. Like, I'm gonna be alone and I'm gonna see this 
like scary ghost thing in a window or when I'm like washing my face and lift my face up and see her in the, yeah, reflection in the, of mirror. the mirror or something. So I would like literally just stay at that restaurant. I would not pay my bill. I would be like, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm not leaving here. I'm spending the night with someone who works at this restaurant. Please. <laughs> I cannot be alone tonight. Just keep the lights on yeah. and we're good. Yeah, so. exactly. So it sounds like you've had a lot of experiences with ghosts or spirits. Have you had any experiences with, on our show, we refer to them as cryptids. I know some other cultures just refer to them as like folkloric creatures. Um, and I know that you already know the topics we're going to talk, talk about today. So I'm going to ask you to save those stories until we get into it. But have you have, had any experiences with a cryptid? I would say that I encountered some things that I could not explain. Mm. Um, these cryptids actually do exist in Hawaii. And in fact, um, yeah, I would say I was talking with some individuals or an individual from the Alaska, uh, an Alaska ghost hunter group. Mm -hmm. And um, I told him a story about encountering shadow people in Hawaii. And he freaked out. And he's like, I had no idea that shadow people were in Hawaii. I'm like, I don't know if it was shadow people, but it sure fits that description. So, yeah, I, I have encountered some cryptids like Do that. Do you mind sharing a shadow person story with us? Because this is one of the topics that we have not covered yet on our show, but I find so interesting. Yeah, what's a shadow yeah, person? Um, is that just a ghost? It's like a shadow that runs along the side or it, it looks like a, a dark darkened individual that's elongated it has it looks like an individual but it has disproportionate features like its arms may be longer its legs may be longer mm. and such torso is stretched out longer so it like literally looks like so, a shadow of a person but just without a person that's yeah well, right <laughs> I should know. and it just so happens the uh golf course that I was investigating. Another of the golf course holes, we were investigating the area and all of a sudden one of my friends looks over his shoulder and he's like, hello. And we're like, what are you talking to? What did you say hello for? And he's like, there's something down there. And we're about 50 yards from the, the green area. And we we looked down and we, were, we said, we can't, where is it? And he said, it, it, it's right there. There's something on the green. And we kept looking, and we could not identify it. And my friend said, all right, well, hey, did you want some help? We can help you, or you can you can go. And the, the hole or the pin was still in there. Flag was in there, and it was right in the middle of the green. We saw a shadow stand up and run to the back of the green oh and it was uh it ran into a maintenance hut the door was open oh my god oh my god how do you how do you like psychologically handle seeing so many things that for like natalia and i would be very it would be very scary for us and i think yeah, we've talked quit. about on the show before about how like we don't seem to have like that third eye or that sensitivity that a lot of people a lot of our listeners seem to have so for me that that idea is like is very terrifying how do how yes. do you deal with that uh i just take um i have belief in whatever i'm gonna encounter i'm gonna it, it i can deal with it uh there was once where we were doing an investigation and when i made the uh 
the society that I was with, I made sure that about a third of us were skeptics and nothing, had no idea. But by the end of the society, uh, everybody had at least five things that they could not explain. Wow. wow. Even the skeptics. They were just like, we sense this and we have no idea what's going on. So, um, but yeah, I mean, that I, I basically am like, all right, let's deal with this. Um, I know that my lineage might protect me a little bit more than others. In fact, I've studied the paranormal for many, many years uh, before doing investigations. So I have a deep understanding of not just Hawaiian paranormal, but also world paranormal. And I study mythology as well. Wow. So that does make sense. I think maybe once you've been exposed to it and studied it and understand the mechanisms behind some of the phenomena, or maybe even just accepting that you might not ever fully understand it, maybe that sort of brings some peace when you're witnessing things you can't explain. But also it's like, I'm Hawaiian and it's just part of life. Mm -hmm. Things happen to my family that we, we share. So it's like, oh, this happened. Oh, Okay. <laughs> I think it's probably like in Jurassic Park where you have these paleontologists who have spent their whole life studying the remains of these dinosaurs and they're like super into it and talking about it. And then they see a dinosaur in real life. And instead of running away, because like any normal person would, they're like, wow, I can't believe it's real. And it's exactly what I thought it would look like, you know, probably. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, it's, it's just part of life for us in Hawaii. Um, especially if you're Hawaiian. So it's just, yeah, cool. Did anybody get hurt? No. All right, we're good. So. Yeah, that it's it's a very like, um, I don't know, it just seems like a very, I'm not sure exactly what I'm trying to say, but like a, a level of acceptance that maybe in on the mainland, we like don't have that same connection. Well, I mean, another thing is that, uh, and I was talking to my friends about this, Hawaii is like uh, a lot of the um, Latino families and a uh, lot of uh, various cultures where we're very family oriented. Mm -hmm. We're very sharing. We're right. very, even with our friends. For example, if we have really close friends that, that, that we know our, our, we can trust our kids with or, or our relatives with, it's like they're, they're family now. It's not just like, oh, yeah, whatever, he's a friend. It's like, no, we're introduced to each other. It's like, oh, yeah, that's my uncle. And they're like, you're related? <laughs> no, but he's my uncle. So, and same thing. It's like, he's my nephew. And they're like, oh, from which side? It's like, no, he's my nephew from Hawaii. <laughs> oh, okay. <Yeah>. So. <laughs> I love that. We have a joke on our show that um, we have a community and we call everybody either part of the haunted fam or haunties. It's like an auntie, but you're a haunty. Like you're my haunty. Yes. We're we're part of this community together. So I love that. I think that's beautiful. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Well, I would love actually to get into the intro for this week's episode because yeah. what you just said, Kamu, about this sort of like mixing of cultures and, you know, communal sort of atmosphere in Hawaii, I think really ties into what I wanted to start with, which is a brief background on the history of Hawaii for any of our listeners who might not know um, much about Hawaii. So if it's okay with you guys, I'd love to just jump right into this. Yes, please. I'm very Do interested. It. So today's episode, if you guys haven't already guessed, centers around a topic that a lot of our listeners have been begging us to do for over the past two years. 
a Hawaiian haunting. Yes. And today we are going to discuss three total quote-unquote hauntings purported to be active on the Hawaiian islands, from the souls of ancient marching warriors to shape-shifting water spirits to a house inhabited by a man-eating ghost. But before we dive headfirst into the lore and legends found on this slice of paradise, let's begin with a brief overview of the islands. Mm. Located in the Pacific Ocean, about 2,000 miles from the United States mainland, the state of Hawaii is comprised of an archipelago of eight major islands, several atolls, numerous smaller islets, and seamounts extending some 1,500 miles from the island of Hawaii, which is nicknamed the Big Island, to Puri Atoll in the north. Based on the findings from archaeological digs, the earliest habitation of the Hawaiian Islands dates to around AD 300, most likely by Polynesian settlers from the Marquesas Islands. In the 11th century, a second wave of migration from Raiatea and Bora Bora brought more settlers to the region. Detailed and rich accounts found in Hawaiian mythology and storytelling have led some archaeologists and historians to hypothesize that a later wave of immigrants from Tahiti occurred around AD 1000, but other experts refute this hypothesis, saying that there is no linguistic evidence to support this theory. Whatever the case, the Hawaiian islands enjoyed a slow and steady growth in population until entire communities grew to encompass whole islands. Each community was ruled by a local chief called an ali'i, and conflicts between neighboring rivals was not uncommon. Eventually, one United Kingdom of Hawaii was formed after a series of battles that ended in 1795. From that point forward, all inhabited islands were under a single ruler known as King Kamehameha the Great. The House of Kamehameha would become the reigning dynasty of Hawaii, ending just shy of a century in 1872. The dynasty would reach its end when King Kamehameha V, a bachelor with no heir to the throne, would pass away with no one to succeed him in death. This resulted in an election to determine the sixth monarch. When the winner of that election, Luna Lilo, died the following year, riots broke out until eventually King Kalukawu was chosen as the seventh monarch of the Kingdom of Hawaii. The last reigning monarch, Queen Lili Uokalani, was overthrown in a coup organized by white government officials and citizens in 1893. For the next 50 or so years, Hawaii was in governmental uncertainty. The queen unsuccessfully tried to regain her throne, despite American President Grover Cleveland actually supporting her during his time in office. A provisional government favoring white settlers in Hawaii over Asian settlers refused to relinquish its power. Eventually, in 1959, Hawaii was declared the 50th state of the United States of America. After Europeans and mainland Americans first arrived during the Kingdom of Hawaii period, the overall population of Hawaii, which until that time composed solely of indigenous Hawaiians, fell dramatically. Many people of the indigenous Hawaiian population died to foreign diseases, declining from 300,000 in the 1770s to 60,000 in the 1850s to 24,000 in 1920. The population of Hawaii began to finally increase again after an influx of primarily Asian settlers that arrived as migrant laborers at the end of the 19th century. 
1806, the first known arrival of the Japanese occurred when survivors of a shipwreck were washed ashore in the remains of their sailing vessel. Between 1869 and 1885, Japan actually barred immigration to Hawaii, but in 1900, the ban was lifted and Japanese laborers began flooding into Hawaii, eager to work on sugarcane plantations. In 1899, Puerto Rican immigrants to Hawaii began when their own country was devastated by a hurricane that destroyed their own sugarcane fields. On a much smaller scale, African people began immigrating to Hawaii in the 19th century on merchant and whaling ships from places like Cape Verde and the United States mainland. In 1923, 42% of the population was of Japanese descent, 9% was of Chinese descent, and 16% was of native descent. Today, 38.6% of Hawaii's population identifies as Asian, 24.7% identify as white, 10% identify as Native Hawaiian or other Pacific Islanders, 8.9% identify as Hispanic or Latino, 1.6% identify as Black, and 0.3% are American Indian and Alaskan Native, and of the, those percentages, 23.6% total identify as multi-ethnic background. So as you can see, the modern culture of Hawaii is very much a melting pot of indigenous Hawaiian traditions combined with East Asian, European, Latin, and Black influence along the way. So Kamu, do you have any corrections to make? Is there anything I've talked about regarding the history of Hawaii that you wanted to expand upon or clarify? Um, I believe the... Um the monarch before Luliu Kalani uh, was David Kalakawa. But other than that, that was pretty accurate. I would say that's an A-plus report. <laughs> Going into the mythological side of Hawaii, um, the uh, it's stated that there's different beliefs on the creation of the Hawaiian islands. People stated mm -hmm. that Pele was the creator of the islands when she was fleeing from Tahiti as far as uh, she was fleeing from her sister. Um, the Maka, and um, she ended up creating the islands because she was trying to find a home. And whenever she'd find a home, the waves would crash down and extinguish her flames until she ended up uh, dying and finding a home on the big islands, Hilawea. Another uh, mm. myth is that Maui the demigod fished up the islands and this is very common throughout the various pacific cultures especially down in new zealand because new zealand northern island is actually named maui's fish and the southern mm. island of new zealand is referred to as maui's canoe wow see. everyone also wonders who was the hawaiians that actually uh discovered hawaii um that is credited to the legendary pacific navigator Hawaii Loa, and the islands got their name because he named it after their children. Oahu was named after his daughter. Kauai mm. was named after his son, but his oldest son, he named the island Maui after his oldest son. I wanted to point this out because a lot of people think that the island of Maui was named after the demigod Maui, but it was actually... Okay, so technically it was named after Hawaii Loa's oldest son, Maui, but Hawaii Loa's named his oldest son after the demigod. So Right. Oh, interesting. Right. So it's both, sort of. <laughs> sort of, yeah. yeah it's like, in a roundabout yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I stated in one of my episodes, it's like 
playing the Kevin Bacon game, really. So seven degrees yeah. of separation. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Before we get into today's specific hauntings, the very last thing I want to do is talk about um, some Hawaiian views on life and death, because in my research, I was noting that a lot of the folklore, a lot of the hauntings that take place on the island, um, it's not very easy to understand them unless you kind of understand some of the views that are held by the Hawaiian people. So I am not Hawaiian. So what I decided to do for this was find a source called Hawaiian Ghost Spirits and the Stories That Keep Them Alive, written by T.R.A. K. Toltzman for Big Island Pulse. And I'm just going to read verbatim a paragraph that was written in this magazine. And then, Kamu, I'm going to ask for your corrections and um, your some more context for this paragraph. So Toltzman writes, In Hawaiian tradition, the belief is that although the soul dwells within the body in life, the soul has an independent existence of its own. The soul may even wander away from the body in sleep and visit others' dreams or appear to them as an apparition or vision. The spirit leaves the body via the inner corner of the eye, called the lua uhane. This is a dangerous time for the body as the soul can be caught and prevented from returning. The soul is resistant to returning to the body and must be enticed or forced back in via the feet. Fragrant plants, cleansing, bathing, and chanting may all be used to call the spirit back into its host. This ritual of resuscitation is called kapuku. Upon death, the soul is believed to exit the body and may meet one of three fates. Most souls proceed to the afterlife or underward, underworld. The Hawaiian term for the afterlife is, and I may need your help with this, kamu, au au mau o ka honua. Is that anywhere near? Uh, well, the the god of the underworld is known as Milu, and there's various names of the underworld. The Hawaiian underworld, or land of the dead, or land of Milu, is Lua O Milu. Uh, you see, that's why there's different definitions of what the underworld is. For the one that I mentioned is uh, directly or translates to land of the dead or land of Milu. Many Hawaiian myths describe the afterlife as similar to life on earth, and proceeding to the afterlife is a desirable outcome for the spirit. A soul with exceptional mana, or spiritual power, and worthy morality could become an ancestral guardian spirit. Oftentimes, the family guardian spirit would escort the recently deceased into the afterlife. At the death of a prominent individual such as an ali'i, an entire spirit procession called an oio, would escort the soul to the afterlife. Souls that remain amongst the living are described as, quote, wandering ghosts, generally regarded as potentially harmful and to be avoided. Wandering ghosts aimlessly roam desolate and barren places. The ghost has the same appearance and voice as in life, but lacks corporeal mass and can enlarge or contract in size. Because the soul looks so much like its mortal body, it is important to perform ghost tests. One test involved laying out the leaves of the ape plant and having the individual walk over them. A living human would crush the fragile leaves, whereas a soul would not disturb them. Another way to distinguish lapu from the living is to look for a reflection, which they are incapable of producing. 
Lapu may also enter and possess objects, especially bones, and this is one of the many reasons why Hawaiians treat human bones so wow. carefully. Um, that's pretty accurate. Um, as far as the uh, traditional sense and a lot of things you mentioned, the Hawaiian remains are very... It's all about the old school Hawaiians were all about restoring and keeping mana or power and the source of the power was in the bones which is why the greatest mystery for Hawaii is where is or where's the remains of King Kamehameha the Great because when he was killed he the story stated that he called all his advisors but they took their time because they wanted to look their best but two advisors ended up running from breaking what they're doing and immediately running over and Kamehameha rewarded them by saying you can you can hide my bones and Mm. it stated that whoever had Kamehameha's bones would gain his power or mana and that's what's a lot of the traditions of Hawaiians were all about the alii's maintaining their mana or power uh, because it was so important so there could be theoretically some people in Hawaii who have King Kamehameha's bones and therefore his mana right now, and it's just like secret. It could be, but it's most likely buried somewhere. Um, I believe the 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 most commonly accepted thing was they was probably he was on the Big Island, so they probably threw it in uh, Kilauea for Pele. Um, mm. there was a, a story with Kamehameha that stated that he was trying, he, he was pursuing a, uh, a, a rival on the big Island. And at that point in time, the volcano Kilauea erupted and everything was in danger. Like Kamehameha was in danger of losing not only his life, but his armies in pursuit of this ali'i so what mm-hmm. he did was he ended up cutting a lock of his hair and throwing it in the volcano and that signified that to the hawaiians anyway that or what i was told that he dedicated himself to pele in that act mm. and that act actually subsided the volcano's eruption and that was it very wow. powerful I have a paragraph here about Hawaiian belief in the mana residing in the bones. So I'm going to read that really quickly. It says, Native Hawaiians believe that every person is full of mana or power, which at death resides in the iwi or bones. The iwi have to be buried in the ground in order to impart with their mana. In ancient Hawaii, natives would bury the bodies of the deceased in normally one of four different ways. Some people would bundle the body in such a way that the knees were brought up to the chest, and then the body would be buried whole in the ground. Others would remove the pala, or flesh and organs, and then, after disposing of these parts at sea, the bones would remain in the care of the family. In other instances, the longer bones of the body and the skull would be deposited in a cave or crevice. Lastly, some Native Hawaiians would bury the bodies around their property in order to maintain a physical closeness to the deceased loved one. Native Hawaiians believe that family members have the responsibility to care for the bones of their ancestors. Yeah, I mean, that's all um, pretty much the uh, ceremonial burial 
um, old school and such. I I think the uh, on the subject of the spirit, though, I wanted to go back and everything. It's stated that uh, to access the... I'm not sure if you mentioned this. Did you mention or do you have in your notes on how to access the spiritual world or the um, the underworld? No, I don't have that in my notes. Yeah, I'd love to hear about it? that. <laughs> okay, so when it is believed that when a Hawaiian dies, he his spirit or her spirit ends up going to um, one of the island's several jumping off points where they stand in line on a cliff and then their spirit leaps into the horizon and a, a portal opens and that they that portal takes them to the other world. However, it's also stated that um, it's either that or a uh, the entrance to the underworld is actually found in breadfruit trees or kukui nut trees. Mm. Um, and uh, portals open up. And you mentioned the whole thing about um, dangerous ghosts and such. Uh, they become hungry ghosts. So hungry ghost, it's a type of ghost where they end up eating food. And the reason why it is believed that they want to eat food or they need to eat food is so they can actually weigh, gain weight. And if they gain weight, then they can actually uh, drop into the portals. This is why in certain places at night, you'll actually be wandering uh, through Hawaii or something and you'll hear like all of a sudden a branch crack and break. And one of the stories I heard is when you hear that branch crack and break, that means a hungry ghost was nearby and it got enough, it got fat enough that it broke the branch it was sitting on and a portal opened up. So it went to the other world. I love that. So cool. So, okay. If for the sake of the argument, if you are immortal and you happen upon a spirit that is jumping off of a cliff into a portal could you follow that spirit into the portal yeah i mean you can but they're jumping into the horizon it's pretty long jump (laughs) okay all right but but that being said we do have ghosts that that are that are known for jumping um okay there's an area uh, on oahu named makapu'u and in the makapu'u area there's a woman in white and it's said that uh, you can actually see this woman in white jump off the cliff into the water below. Oh and Or sometimes you'll just be driving along and everything, and all of a sudden you hear someone screaming, and you'll see this woman in white fall beside your car into the surf below. But when people look, there's nothing there. Oh, wow. my God. Oh. You have to have serious balls again. to be a ghost in Hawaii. Like you're you're not just yeah. a ghost. You have to like jump into a horizon into a portal. You have to like jump off. Like there's a very very uh adrenaline junkie ghosts in Hawaii, it sounds like. No fear, right? Yeah. Might as well do yeah. it. You're already dead. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> True. Okay, well now I am going to get into our first story today, which is the story of the night marchers. In Hawaiian mythology, the night marchers are a dangerous and deadly procession made up of the souls of ancient Hawaiian warriors. Sometimes also joined by the gods, these ghostly parades march through the darkness late at night, beating war drums, chanting, and blowing conch shells to announce their impending approach. 
Although you can hear them stomping as they march, their feet are said to never actually touch the ground as they move between ancient battle sites and other sacred locations on the islands. The warriors appear dressed for battle, complete with weaponry and torches to light their way. They march continuously from sunset to sunrise, and witnesses report the scent of death filling the air just before the procession's arrival. If you are unlucky enough to be in the pathway of this procession, or if you make eye contact with any of the warriors, legend states that you will be met with a violent and bloody end at the hands of these skilled soldiers. According to Hawaiian podcaster Lopaka Kapanui, in downtown Honolulu, there's a night marcher's trail that runs through the Davies Pacific Center building. In 2012, Kapanui spoke with workers on the 23rd floor who claimed that the building's security cameras captured the night marchers on video one evening. A native Hawaiian cleaning lady was reportedly doing her job late at night when a column of mist appeared in front of her. The woman then died the next day. It is hypothesized that she may have accidentally looked upon the procession as it journeyed past her. The following month, someone claimed to have seen the ghost of that same woman marching with the night marchers and disappearing through the side of a wall. So you may be asking yourself, how can I avoid death if I find myself accidentally near one of these spectral processions? Well, the first answer is to avoid the procession altogether by not being out at all on nights where the marching is thought to take place. On any of the nights which honor the Hawaiian gods Kane, Ku, Lono, or Kanaloa, the warriors are said to either rise up from the ocean or emerge from their burial sites to begin their night-long tradition. According to an article published to Honolulu Magazine written by Diane Lee, the night marchers are also said to march on the last four Hawaiian moon phases before the moon goes completely dark. Unfortunately, however, just staying home is often not enough, as the marchers are said to be able to pass through locked doors if the home has a front and back door that line up in a straight line. In fact, any barrier at all is, re is rendered ineffective in the pathway of the marchers, as they are capable of passing through items such as cement blockades, traffic cones, stones, and boulders. Another way to avoid being caught in the warrior's path is to plant living tea shrubs around your home. The tea plant is an evergreen flowering plant regarded as having mystical or spiritual powers in a variety of cultures. In ancient Hawaii, the plant has many magical uses and placing tea at the corners of one's home is thought to keep evil spirits at bay. Some Hawaiians believe that another way to avoid death in the face of the marchers is to lie motionless face down on the ground in their presence. Other variations of this belief state that you must also strip naked. This act of submission is thought to demonstrate proper respect, fear, and deference to the night marchers, and mortals who carry out this act may be spared. Finally, according to the book Hawaiian Mythology, written by Martha Beckwith, mortals can avoid harm or death from night marchers by being fortunate enough to have an ancient ancestor marcher present to recognize them. As they encounter the mortal, they will call out Na'u, which means mine in Hawaiian, and no one in the warrior procession will harm them. Kamu, first of all, is any of that correct? And also, is this why you were saying that you would be safe from some of the ghosts on the Hawaiian islands because your lineage can be traced back to royalty? 
Yes, in fact, um, my lineage is directly related to Chief Kaiana, who was the chief of Kauai, and he joined King Kamehameha in his early in his campaign, and he was Kamehameha's most trusted advisor, uh, to the point where the highest level that one could do would to be uh, share his wife with them. So uh, Kamehameha shared his favorite wife, Queen Ka'ahumanu, with my ancestor, Chief Kayana. And then Chief Kayana ended up dying at the Battle of Nu'uanu, which was the last battle and the bloodiest battle uh, that united all the islands on, on Oahu. Wow, what a cool... Uh, that is actually where Pali, the Pali Highway is. Um, and so that's where a lot of the paranormal things actually occur on in the state is the Pali Highway. So you have to be face down, butt naked for these ghosts to ignore you. Did I understand that right? It's that's in theory. Okay. Uh, there's other theories that stated that you have to um, urinate on yourself because you'll con- be considered unclean. But it's largely unknown. Um, on but basically, it's like do not look or pay them any attention no matter what you're try to avoid them when you hear you're them. gonna have a bad night like you're either gonna <laughs> get taken by these ghosts or you're gonna piss all over yourself basically right or have to be face and down in the dirt but naked which can't be fun yeah and i uh for clarity for your listeners when uh you mentioned tea leaves it's mm-hmm. n- just to be clear it is not the drinking tea it is uh specifically and this is i'm going to attempt latin here and possibly butcher it but it's the uh plant known as cordyline fruticos which are long leaf uh plants that us Hawaiians use a lot in either tea leaf make uh tea leaf lays or the ceremonies for blessing areas and such yeah see i would have not done my research and i'd just be drinking tea and be like i'm safe and then yeah. I would bust out it. the Lipton. We're yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I actually, um, listeners who listened to the Sugar Pine 7 podcast many years ago might remember that I had a Hawaiian ex that I would always beg to be back in my life, like on the podcast. And he actually <laughs> told me about these night marchers, but I don't think he really understood. He just told me like in Hawaii, there's bad ghosts. And if you see them, you're sp- you're not supposed to look. He's like, you have to avert your gaze. So if you see a ghost, it's already too late. So I wonder if that's what he was talking about. Yeah. I mean, th- there's a lot of theories and a lot of talk about the night marchers and a lot of the customs and everything is related to like we were saying earlier about preservation of mana because uh, back in the day you could not look upon the elite mm-hmm. like if you're a commoner if you mm. looked upon the elite it is believed that you were taking mana from them and that was a kapu or rule so then if you looked upon an elite um, then the guards would immediately like rush you and kill you wow. because that was the only way that you can actually get the mana back to the elite and that's why it is said you cannot look upon the uh night marchers but that's why the mar- night marchers make noise mm-hmm. it was a way to announce their presence so it gave the commoners time to gather what they're doing to finish things up and then to retreat into their their homes or to like lay down and not look 
Another thing, though, is that when you were not looking at the night marchers, you had to make sure that you were looking down on the ground because you wanted to make the only thing you can look at would be the the Ali'i's procession, the shadows, mm. because the shadows, if they actually touched you, that was considered the shadow was being part of you. So but that's like you touch, you're touching the Ali'i. Mm. So because of that, you took some mana from them. So Ooh. that's why when you're bowing down, you had to make sure that you're kind of mobile, but looking at the ground. So if the shadows got close to you, you would actually scurry away say, to avoid that. Say there was just some psychopath who just wanted to get all the mana. Could you theoretically look at the Ali'i and, and just take all their power and then they try to catch you and you're like, you're powerless? You you would have to do a lot of power, but there were people, if you actually broke the kapu of this or any other kapu in Hawaii, right. if you broke a kapu, you were, you were sentenced to death. You were killed on the spot. You, you did not have time to run away. Right. But if you actually could run and flee to a city of refuge, then you would be forgiven. Interesting. And Interesting. There were city of refuges throughout the state and um, or the kingdom back then. And it wasn't even kingdom back then, but there are various cities of refuge. But the trick was these cities of refuge were very difficult to get to. And there's one that remains on the big island and it's a very popular tourist destination. What is it? It's the um, the city of refuge. Oh, <laughs> that's what it's oh, I thought, I, for some reason in my mind. I'm like Indiana Jones. You know, there's going to be like a right, secret the tunnel. Temple of Doom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, I actually listened to an episode that you did on your podcast, Legends from the Pacific, Kamu, where you talked about the Night Marchers. So if any of our listeners are super interested in this topic, I recommend you go listen to that episode. But something I found interesting is that in your paranormal investigations, am I did I understand correctly that you said that your group of investigators may have heard the Night Marchers approaching one night? I've encountered the Night Marchers several times. Oh, not wow. directly to actually see them. But um, going back to the shadow thing, mm -hmm. this is a theory that states that this is why um, the Ali'i would end up leaving certain nights. Because these are the nights when they didn't cast such a large shadow oh. to endanger people around them. Oh. So their shadow was small. So then they can actually move around freer without worrying about possibly killing the people around them so maybe but so it, they're they're actually respectful then right it's not like because some of the sources i read characterize them as like these very dangerous like violent ghosts but it sounds like what you're saying is they're trying everything in their power to not have to kill people like they make noise they try to go out on nights where they can't cast a shadow yeah i mean it's it they're they are a very terrifying ghost and a lot of people uh, they are terrifying but at the same time it's not really smart if you're an elite to be killing all your commoners that are mm. that are there doing the things that are supplying you with food and everything. Right. And you Good wouldn't point. be seen as a just leader. So you'd want to do all these things that you can to preserve them and say like, yeah, he's not a bad guy or gal or whoever. Right. So going to my experiences when I was a child growing up, there were nights where 
we would hear a dog barking down the street and all the the dog wouldn't stop you know how normally you would hear a person walk by or the, the dog would bark at the person and then they would stop and then the next dog would continue that yeah the next dog would continue barking as if a person was there but the first dog wouldn't stop oh. and this came this continued throughout the entire street of my my road where there would just be constant dog barking and at the end the entire street would be barking and all of a sudden they would just it'd be quiet all at the same time like no wow. whimpering no silent barking nothing it was just bark 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 then quiet they died and that happened that happened many many times but uh it's believed that uh they didn't die <laughs> that would be really bad but they um why they stop barking well we we believe that there was a night marcher procession mm-hmm. and the dogs were barking at the night marchers and then they vanished and then that was it oh okay sorry <laughs> oh it's okay it's fine but uh growing up i would i would ask my grandma and be like what what was what's all that and she would honestly say to me, and I remember these words whenever that happened. She's like, never mind. Just keep watching TV. She was trying to protect and you. Yeah. Possibly. But it was like, and mind you, we were living in Hawaii Kai. It's not like out in the like undeveloped area. We It was very developed area. And all this stuff was still going on. And, But I remember her saying, telling me, don't look outside bad man are outside and they'll if they see you they'll take you i would be so scared and, I, and it was there were times where that would happen uh frequently not every night but i would say like once every i don't know so often but i remember one night where that happened and i'm like there it is again and she'd be she'd say don't look just just keep watching tv or playing games or whatever, playing video games. And I would end up, uh, I, I remember peeking out the window behind the curtains and I didn't see anything. And I just saw the dogs barking and reacting and everything. And I was like, not sure what's going on, mm-hmm. but okay. It's interesting that you say that about the dogs barking because um, Natalia and I have a acquaintance, uh, well, friend, I would call her a friend, um, Taryn. And she, born and raised in Hawaii, and I asked her for this episode, I said, hey, do you have any experience? And I named the three topics that we're going to be covering today. And the Night Marchers is one of them. And she said, um, I'm just going to quote what she said. I did ask my parents about the Night Marchers and found out that the forest behind my childhood home was apparently a Night Marcher path. I knew it was haunted because our dogs would go fucking wild at night and things went missing all the time. But I didn't know it might be Night Marcher related. My childhood home was in Nu'u'anu near Pali Lookout. So what you're saying about the dogs makes a lot of sense because it sounds like a similar thing was happening near her childhood home. And if you picture a procession walking along, it makes sense that the first dog starts barking as the procession's going past and the procession is long. So more and more dogs start to bark. It's very cool that um, sometimes when we cover hauntings it's like one person has a story but 
nobody else does or one person has a story and then another person has a story but they're so different that it's not you're not sure if they're related or not and so what I found interesting about Hawaiian folklore is it seems like there's these common threads that really support the hauntings yeah see and that's where with my experiences and such I would gather them and then I would end up sharing them with people and telling stories or recording them and then I would encounter people that would come up to me after or contact me and say, I had the same thing, but it was in a different location. And I would be like, wow, where was this? And he's like, oh, it was here. I was like, okay. So for example, there was like a, a story about a, my growing up, my, my dad told me this story about this area that he would go and off-roading with his truck and this darker area that they would just stay away from. But some of his friends went out and they stated that they were riding along this, his friend and his girlfriend. Girlfriend ended up looking over in the, from the passenger side to the driver's side and, he's, and she saw, keeping up with them off-roading, a Hawaiian messenger running alongside the truck. What? And they were... You know, it's it's harsh terrain, and they're booking it. And all of a sudden, and it was just right next to the the driver outside the the truck. All of a sudden, boom! He runs into the 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 mountain, disappears. Now this makes sense because Hawaii is under Hawaii. There's stream or lava tubes and everything that the Hawaiians used to move their troops when they did battle. Mm. And it was used a lot with messengers to get from one place to another to relay messages between the different villages. Mm. I told this story and an individual came up to me after and they said, we saw the messenger. And the exact same thing happened. But they were on the Pali or Nu'uanu. This is and so interesting. The same thing happened where it was like they were just driving along and then they saw the uh, the Hawaiian runner just running, running, running and then ran to the left into the mountain or hill and vanished. Wow. The uh, Another of the night marcher stories that I have is answering your earlier question. I was with a group and we were investigating the area and we heard this thud and it sounded like the like a coconut hitting the ground we didn't think anything of it as we continued and we were waiting there and everything the thud occurred again and again and I was talking with uh, Dr. Glenn Grant at the time and we were saying oh on my cell phone and he's saying, Oh, we're, we're hearing this thudding. And he said, you need to go. And we were investigating one of the pulley area and we were like, what? No, but can you hear the thudding, the sound? And he's like, you, you need to go, you need to leave the night march. That's the night marchers. And we're like, Oh, he didn't tell us that we were just like, go now. We left and we got back to our cars and everything. And, um, He's then at the car. He says, that was night marchers. Did you get a recording oh of that? 
and I said, I looked at everybody else and I said, did you guys get a recording? And they did not get a recording. Oh, oh my gosh. Well, I'm glad that your group was able to get out of there and like be safe. You would have been fine, but. Yeah, that, that was the joke actually with the group is that the rules if we can get encounter something is number one, someone grab Kamu. Number two, <laughs> run. <laughs> yeah. He's our shield. Yeah, you would oh, be I'd a love that. shield. Oh, I'm just so interested in the night marchers because you can't look at them and it just, you know, makes me want to look even more. I'm just very <laughs> I uh I told Dr. Grant, I said, Well, I can get I can go back and get a recording. I'll be fine and he was yelling at me, Don't just it's fine. Just let <laughs> Don't it go. Risk it. Let it go. Yeah. All right, so <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's, that's, uh, another of the story of the night marchers that I encountered, but there was other ones too, where I was on the big Island and it was in the middle of the night morning, actually, it was around two o'clock in the morning. And this is the Hawaiian area, Hawaiian homestead area. And there's no one really around. And we heard like, a neighbor's distance away partying and it's no big deal whatever it's fine it was around maybe two o'clock in the morning and i heard a conch shell blow and i was like mom that was a conch shell and she said don't be silly kamu it's two o'clock in the morning who would be blowing a conch shell at two o'clock in the morning Mm. and she realized she she heard she heard what she said and she's like, Okay, good night. We're gonna turn off the lights. We're all gonna go to sleep now. Oh, and wow. and we were in the middle of a movie and she's like, Nope, we're going to sleep. And I'm like, But mom, what what let's go and check it out. And she's like, Nope, we're going to sleep. We got a big day tomorrow. We're going to sleep. And uh as we were settling in and it was dark and about to go to sleep, the party stopped. There was nothing. It was all dead quiet. And then another conch shell blew. Oh, my gosh. Oh, well, I, again, I just want to say I'm very appreciative of these night marchers for warning people in advance before they come through the area. Yeah, they're super busy, it seems like. And going from place to place, actually, this is what they would do. The elite would would be the only ones into these temples or the sacred areas right. to to do the maintenance of the area because no one else would. And so they're just continuing their job in death. Mm. So, Oh, I love it. I love that story. It's, it's a very good combination of like creepy, but also just very, very interesting. And to have so many people have the same experiences, I just, it makes me say, yeah, like this is a thing that's happening. It's not just folklore. It's not just a story or an hour an allegory like this is something that actually happens so i love yeah. the concept of the night marchers mm. Me too. now i just wanted to state this is tying into your earlier question ali about cryptids now during this investigation on the pali or nu'uanu which was the battle of nu'uanu which was where your friend stated that she was and where my ancestor died um while we were doing this investigation, we d- we always wanted to try and avoid letting people know where we are because it was always trouble with the living instead of trouble with the dead that we've always encountered. 
So we were dropped off. The girls that dropped us off main stayed a little while or a distance away in their car and waited for us to contact them. They said the car was completely off and they were talking. Then all of a sudden they said that they heard something outside the car. And it was like a gurgling sound. And it was their car. They've never heard that before. And it was like, as they said, something was outside circling the car. And it was just out of sight. They were like looking sort of, but it was just a little out of sight from them to see what it was. And then it circled the car, gurgling sound, and then they said it, it, the present sort of left. What was it? So oh. we're not sure exactly if it was like a presence or a cryptid, but I'm kind of leaning towards possibly a cryptid. Well, that actually leads perfectly into our second story for this episode, because this is a tale of what some consider to be a cryptid and others consider to be more of a spirit. And it's found across all eight of the islands of Hawaii. So I'd love to get into our second story now. And this is the story of the Mo'o. The Mo'o are described as giant lizards with glittering black scales that can reach between 12 to 30 feet long. In some iterations of the legend, the scales on these Mo'o are said to be so dark that they only reflect light when wet. The Mo'o inhabit caves, freshwater springs, and deep ponds and are thought to be water spirits or even deities that possess supernatural shape-shifting powers. Usually portrayed as female, the Mo'o are most often said to shapeshift into either beautiful maidens or, conversely, into ruthless and vicious dragons. Samuel Kamakau, a 19th century Hawaiian historian, wrote that when altars were set up by homeowners near ponds or other water features, the long reptilians would soon appear on the water's surface, drawn to the dancing flames their sleek black scales glistening in the candlelight. If a human near the altar offered a drink of awa, a beverage with narcotic properties used in ceremonies, the mo'o would drink the awa and turn from side to side, resembling a rocking canoe. Apart from being adept at shape-shifting, the mo'o are also said to be able to manipulate the weather. Mo'o have been known to sweep trespassers away with water and even drown those who come too close to their domain. While sometimes the Mo'o drown people using waves of water, I did find one account of the reptiles drowning passersby in pits of poisonous phlegm. Ugh. Even if a tail or tongue is severed from the lizard, they are said to still be able to wriggle around on their own, and the severed body parts possess the same potency as they would when attached to their owner. According to an article published to MauiSaltAndSage.com, quote, One story of malevolent moles tells of a group of three of the creatures named Kilioe, Koe, and Milolii who lived on the cliffs of Kauai's northern coast and liked to push travelers off the edge of cliffs or drown them in rivers. 
It has long been said that before entering a pool for a swim, it is a good idea to make an offering of a small flower or branch dropped into the water, just to be sure that if there is a mo'o there, you can tell what their demeanor is. If the flower or branch is swept away quickly, then the common wisdom is that there is a mo'o present who does not wish to be disturbed, and it is best to go elsewhere. And again, similar to the night marchers, after hearing all of the dangers associated with this creature, you may be asking yourself, how can I avoid them? According to tradition, one way to tell if a mo'o is in a pond is to look for a yellow-greenish foam that spreads across the surface of the water. If yellow plants grow around the pond, that could also mean that a mo'o is home or nearby. According to Hawaiian folklore, the great mo'o named Kiha Wahine is said to live in the fish pond known as Mokuhinia in Maui. When Kilawahine is home, a thick foam forms across her pond's surface, and any fish caught in the pond will taste bitter. In the center of this pond, there is a rock which locals have named Laoho or hair. It is thought that this is where Kia Wahine will shapeshift into her female form and sit to brush her hair. Some female mo'o have been known to shapeshift into human form and seduce male travelers by sunning themselves on rocks or brushing their hair, which is often depicted as being red. However, in some depictions, I found that mo'o's hair can also be half black and half white. In some legends, after the man is seduced into having sex with the mo'o, she suddenly devours his flesh, murdering him in the process. The man can only escape his grisly fate by creating an impossible task for the mo'o to perform. In one story, a man asks the mo'o to fill a gourd with snow water from the goddess Poliahu on the top of Mauna Kea. The man is able to escape when the mo'o is unable to complete the task because the man had secretly drilled holes through the bottom of a gourd. While mo'os may seem like all-around bad spirits, the truth is that the ancient Hawaiians believed that they were benevolent guardians who worked to ensure a healthy water supply, plentiful fish, and good harvests. Therefore, if a mo'o receives the proper nurture and respect, it will respond favorably to those who cross its path but if the mo'o is neglected, it will cause destruction. Nature conservation and respecting the land are both basic tenets of Hawaiian culture, so protecting and respecting the mo'o by asking for permission before entering bodies of water, leaving offerings near ponds and other water features, and generally just not disrespecting the land are all important ways to honor these reptilians. For skeptics, it may be easy to dismiss these lizards as a sort of literary device or symbolic way to pass down values of respecting the land over generations. But many native Hawaiians maintain that these are real creatures, and in fact, there are many eyewitness accounts of large dragon-like lizards spotted lurking in the depths of some of the island's remote pools. No. For example, in one instance, there was a mass sighting in 1838 of the Mo'o Kiawahine, who we discussed earlier. Thousands of awestruck witnesses purportedly witnessed her emerge from her home pond in lizard form, jet black and by some accounts measuring up to 30 feet long. In the early 2000s, a woman named Maggie Alu, who lives at Wailua in Maui, 
reported that when she was a child of eight years old, her mother showed her a mo'o swimming about in a pond in the Wailua Valley near Halea Kala. There are also locals at Lipoa Street and Kihie Road on Maui who say that a freshwater spring at that location never dries up because a mo'o that the residents see from time to time lives in it. Also in the early 2000s, a resident named Rabim Freitas told a journalist that he had heard about a mo'o that ate humans in a place called Laie. Eventually, the locals killed it, and they say to this day that you can see the bones of the evil mo'o in the rocks at Laie Point. Other locals from the Puna district to this day claim that if you swim to the bottom of a freshwater pool at that location, you will see the petrified head and tail of a mo'o resting at the bottom. And this brings about an interesting point regarding what happens to a mo'o when it is slain. In many legends regarding these creatures, once a mo'o is slain, it simply becomes part of the landscape. And I found some pictures of different landscapes in Hawaii that do resemble um, sort of like these lizard-like formations, like rock formations or patterns in the hills. And from what I was reading, um, apparently if those or those only form if a mo'o has been slain and that there are some folkloric tales of different ali'i or gods slaying these mo'o. And Kamu, I was wondering, first of all, is there anything you want to correct with what I've said so far? And second of all, do you have any additions to this legend of the mo'o? Um, I believe the uh, woman on Maui, uh, the area that she saw the mo'o in or near was Haleakala. Oh, okay. Thank you. I probably uh, just right. butchered the pronunciation. <laughs> no, it's all right. It's fine. Um, but yeah, the mo'o actually are uh, creatures that are shared throughout various Pacific cultures. They're known as mo'o. Some refer to them as the moko. Uh, the Maoris call them the tanifa, which are actually um, uh, similar to the Hawaii or to the mo'o. I remember as a kid, when I, we went to meet up with some friends near this nice little park that had a, that looked out to the ocean. For some reason, I didn't want to go out to join them. I stayed in our van. And my family was asking, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I just want to stay here. You can stay out there. It's no big deal. My mom, I believe it was, made me go out to uh, see, to spend some time with our relatives. And I said hi to everybody, and I turned to my auntie, who was who knew the area the most. And I asked her, Auntie, is there anything out here, like? a ghost or something or an entity. And she said, how do you know that? Wow. Yeah, there's a mo'o, guardian. All the, all the fishermen that go out there, they always come back and they end up uh, doing, leaving some of the offering back for them because that's how you honor them. So, and I'm like, yep. And I so went, went back knew. into the, well, I went back into the van after that. I said, okay. <laughs> You know, I always think of Hawaii as like this paradise where you go, you know, it's like just 
peaceful and beautiful and now i feel like it's just full of hauntings <laughs> like the- no well and that's actually uh, i was actually working on um film and various film projects and they would always ask me to share some stories and such and that's the same thing was people were saying i had no idea mm-hmm. about this about hawaii and that's why I made my my podcast, Legends from the Pacific. Yeah, it's to great. Not only share that, but also share um, the history of these different cultures and 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 such. So yeah, definitely, Natalia. What are what are you thinking so far about about the mo'o? I would love to hear. Well, I'm trying what's to been be, going through your mind. I'm trying to be very respectful of this beautiful culture, but at the same time, I'm like how can any of these people continue to go in these pools and continue to live this way when there's like ghosts and stuff all around, especially like a reptile where you cut it in half and it doesn't even make a difference. Like that one half is just as poisonous as the other half. And you're just supposed to be like, okay, now I have two poisonous halves of this like giant lizard. It's I'm, I think it's very creepy, you know, I'm like sketched out about this and it's, I already didn't like deep water. Like, there's something that just I don't like about deep water. Like, holes, like, um, cenotes, like, in Mexico, you can go in them. I, they probably have the equivalent in Hawaii because it's, like, a, a lava tube full of water, like, fresh water or something. I've always found those things to just be inherently, like, just scary. And now to know that that's, like, the favorite place for a lizard a poisonous lizard cryptid to live in it's like how i i just can't do i can't i can't live with this information (laughs) (laughs) just another thing to be afraid of yeah yeah um i actually um one of the individuals that confided in me and i had my own investigations i cannot disclose the location but he was a security guard that ended up um, doing his rounds and he said there was a tanks of water Uh, that's all I could say but he said that on certain nights he would see something crawl out of the tanks of water and howl at the moon what my god oh my god I quit my job Oh, I'm. I've been having the chills this whole episode. I think that, uh, from what he was telling me, I suspected that we were either dealing with either a mo'o, but more likely a kappa, which is the Japanese uh, turtle. Uh, it's essentially like a teenage mutant ninja turtle Whoa. that grants wishes, but Whoa. they have a, they have a hole on their head, or their head has like a bowl, where it has water. And essentially, that water is their source of life. And so, if you, they will usually try and attack you and kill you. But they, if you to, if you were to outwit the kappa, then they will grant you a wish if you let them go. So the most common thing is to, when you end up encountering a kappa you bow to them and you want to make sure that it's as low as you can go and the kappa will bow back to you and when it does that it'll drain the water from its head and then it'll start weakening its power and you 
hold it down and then you try to get the wish from it. They're not very uh, smart it, then, are they? N- well, <laughs> they're very respectful. Right. So. Right. Right. Um the uh this is this is why one of the reasons this is th- they love cucumbers. So this is one of the reasons I was told why kappa maki is the cucumber sushi uh, mm. named after the kappa. Oh. So. Oh, how interesting. That's very cool. Well, I like on this podcast, I've talked about many times being very interested in treasure and just, you know, coming (laughs) up through any means possible, especially magical means. So the fact that I could get a wish if I was to free one of these things and capture it first. Now I'm very motivated to capture. (laughs) We can go to Japan and find a kappa. Yeah, that's right. Also, I love Japan, so yeah. Oh, <laughs> Nihongo ga okaremasu ka? Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't speak Japanese, but I love Japan. Yeah, I love uh, the culture too. Well, Natalia, that is why I picked this final story for this episode, because I know how much you love Japan. And in the intro, we just talked about this blending of different Asian cultures and folklore Mm -hmm. on the island of Hawaii due to all this different immigration that's happened over the years. And so, Kamu, you just gave me the perfect transition by talking about the kappa, because our final story for this episode, as I said, is a perfect example of the beautiful mixing of cultures in Hawaii as it blends both Japanese and Hawaiian folklore. Our story begins on August 13th, 1942, when an article was published to the Honolulu Star Bulletin that captured the public's curiosity and attention. Entitled, Police Called to Shoe Ghost from Kaimaki, the article reads as follows. Kahuna, Hawaii's own witchcraft, brewed evils again Wednesday night, dispelling old-timers' hopes that the war had stilled it. Answering a Kaimaki near-riot call at 1.25 a.m., Police Sergeant Mosley K. Commons and Patrolman Robert Ansteth found a Hawaiian boy, age 10, and his two sisters, 18 and 20, shrieking on a sofa. The mother, besides shrieking, was waving tea leaves and sprinkling Hawaiian salt to ward off ghosts. At 10 p.m., she said, her son had detected an odor of ghosts. Angry at being found, the spirit first attached to him, then began repeated attempts to strangle his sisters, she said. Quote, my husband who left me is to blame, the mother added. After a one-and-a-half-hour struggle, police and family yielded the home to Kahuna and retreated at 3 a.m. to the mother's sister's home. As they left, and sleepless neighbors gave thanks, the mother turned on Sergeant Cummins, saying, Look, you have goose pimples too. The article never mentions the address of the home where the haunting took place, But over time, locals began to refer to a certain house on the corner of 8th Street and Harding Avenue in the Kaimaki neighborhood of Honolulu as being the haunted house in question. The basis for this belief is because there is a documented murder which did take place in this particular house, though there aren't many public details known about it. Whatever the truth about where exactly the house was, There have been several newspaper and magazine articles regarding paranormal activity in Kaimaki. 
On October 3, 1972, another article ran in the Honolulu Star Bulletin about a haunted house in Kaimaki. Although we cannot say for sure if this article refers to the same house as the article in the 1940s, local rumors allege that the house is one and the same. The article reads as follows. A police officer in a patrol car in Kaimaki got a late-night call from three girls sharing a house which the neighborhood considered haunted. The girls heard strange noises of someone moving around and talking, and one of the girls said she felt a hand on her arm. They decided to spend the rest of the night in Papakolea with the mother of one of the girls and wanted the policeman to follow them there. The girls got into the car, the officer got into his, and they drove down Waialea Avenue. Suddenly, the girl driving her car pulled into the Oasis Cafe parking lot. The policeman later wrote in his report that the girl in the middle front seat was fighting off someone who could not be seen but who was strangling her. He jumped out of his car and reached into the girl's car to help. In retelling the story, the officer said, quote, a big, strong, calloused hand that could not possibly belong to a teenaged girl, grabbed my arm and twisted it. I radioed for assistance. The answering officer, a Hawaiian police sergeant, was prepared for a parking lot fight, but not for a ghost. Quote, there's a ghost in that car, the first officer told the second, and he was white as a sheet. The girls were hysterical. I told the girl who had been choked to get into my police car and the other two to follow us to Papa Kolea. As soon as she got into the car, the motor died. It wouldn't start up again, the sergeant said. He put her back into the girl's car and tried to start the motor again, and this time it immediately started. The two cars drove about five yards, and suddenly the door of the girl's car flew open, and the same girl fell out into the middle of the road. Again, she was tearing at her throat as if someone was choking her. Together, the two policemen were not strong enough to pull her hands away. The police sergeant ran into the Oasis Cafe and came out with a handful of Hawaiian salt and a glass of water, which he sprayed on everybody. Calm was immediately restored. Quote, It's something my grandmother told me. I never tried it before, the officer explained. My grandmother said it sends the ghosts away. The final account of poltergeist activity in the Kaimaki house comes in 1977 when a married couple, a man and a woman, from Japan moved into the house. Unaware of the home's reputation, the wife awoke with a start one night, shivering, because the temperature in the bedroom had dropped so low that she could see her breath forming a white fog in front of her eyes. Still getting used to the layout of the home, the woman looked around the room, hoping to spot a thermostat, when her eyes fixed upon a horrific sight. There, in the corner of her bedroom, she saw the apparition of a woman, floating, with no arms and no legs. Frozen in fear, the woman wanted to scream, but no sound came from her lips. Finally able to move, the woman shook her husband awake, but by the time he was roused, the apparition had faded away. The following day, the couple phoned a local priest who recommended that they leave an offering of bread and water out for the ghost each night. The priest went on to tell the couple that their home was haunted by a kasha, 
a demonic and cannibalistic entity that feasts on human corpses and has been known to drag human bodies to hell with it. <gasps> According to the priest, the Kasha had formed because of a murder that occurred in the house some years prior. The priest went on to say that many years before the couple moved into the home, a Japanese immigrant, his wife, and their two children were living in the home when the husband, for some unknown reason, murdered his entire family and hid their bodies throughout the house. When the police arrived on scene, they found pieces of bodies buried in the backyard, but the body of one of the man's daughters was never found. The priest said that the ghostly apparition seen by the couple was the soul of that daughter, who is still rumored to be buried somewhere on the property. The husband and wife followed the orders of the priests and left out offerings for the woman each night. And, just as the priest predicted, the ghost never appeared again. So, this Kasha, this ghost, is a Japanese apparition. And, Kamu, I listened to your episode on the Kaimaki house, and I was wondering if you could provide some additional context to what Akasha is thought to be. So, Akasha is basically a Japanese ghost, or not really a ghost, but a ghoul. Mm. Survives and eats off of uh, bodies and such. Uh, it's also stated that it's like a bake neko or a ghost cat. So well, I know what a neko is. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. My only context of Japanese culture is like through media from Japan, like art or, you know, anime or like film. So yeah, I know what Nico is. Nico cat. <laughs> no, yeah, that's fine. Uh but yeah, the um that's the whole thing with the uh with that house. There's actually theories on where exactly the house is. It might not be at that location. It might be at that location. Um, Hawaii has moved around a lot as far as the landscape. The We did encounter it. We tried to do an investigation, but it didn't really go through. And whenever we would go to the area, the neighbors would just come out in droves. And they'd just be immediately trying to chase us off. Like, what are you doing here? Why don't, why don't you leave? And... Mind your own business. This isn't the house. So it's, yeah. There was a while where the society threw around the idea because the one of the potential houses went on sale. And mm -hmm. we considered actually buying the house, doing a group thing, and then just constantly investigating it as an ongoing thing. But we didn't buy it um, because uh, Dr. Glenn Grant stated that whoever purchased the house would actually have would never rest mm. because oh. of the living and not because of the dead. Wow. Ima imagine being the realtor assigned to sell that house. How are you going to do it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's like that everybody would go around nonstop to, to bother the house. So it's right. like, it's not I'm sure worth the neighbors it, were so. sick of it. Yeah. Yeah. But. They were very suspicious, and it's like, you don't blame them. So it's like, eh. yeah. So, 
Well, Natalia, I sent you a couple of illustrations yeah. of what a kasha looks like according to Japanese folklore. And I was wondering if you could describe those to our audience since we are an audio only podcast. And if anyone listening is unfamiliar with our podcast, you can go to at Let's Get Haunted on Instagram and I will be posting key images from this week's episode there. Well, Alyssa sent me two photos of what can only be described as a haunted cat on fire. And I simply want to pass away just looking at this because it's very frightening. Um, the first one is, I, I can't even, I don't know how else to describe this without being super disrespectful, but I don't, is this a person? Is this a human, Alyssa, that's on here? Yeah, so uh, the two pictures I sent are very two ugly. illustrations. <laughs> That come from Japanese folklore. The first one is more of like a humanoid creature. And the second one is more of a cat-like creature. Um, Yeah. Well, because this is a human, I can... You know, I'm going to go ahead and say it. It looks like if a snapping turtle and a human mate. Yeah. And then they had a baby. And then it caught on fire. And it also had Benjamin Button's disease. So it was like super old (laughs) and young at the same time. Like his skin is silky. He doesn't have wrinkles, but he, his skin is like too large for his body. Like, I feel like his skin is maybe three or four sizes too large for his body. I don't know what this is. Now, the second photo is a cat person. Um, and he's like bench pressing a human corpse, which has been tied up in rope in a sheet. Um, there's a full moon and he's dancing on a straw roof while he's also on fire, which is definitely a fire hazard. And I don't think he cares <laughs> at all. Um, he's got one, two, three, four, eight sets of teats. So I'm not sure. This might be a female cat. Um, yeah, just a really terrifying photo. Thank you, <laughs> Alyssa. Yeah, so in my research, I was finding that the Kasha is depicted in several different ways. And I believe I learned from your podcast, Kamu, that it translates to something involving a fiery chariot. Is that correct? Yes, it's. Uh, it usually has a fiery chariot or it, it, it's part of the whole thing of taking uh, individuals to hell or you know down with them and such so yeah i hate that good stuff fun times yeah yeah (laughs) getting dragged to hell can't yeah it's part of the experience you know you go to hawaii on vacation you maybe you get dragged to hell by one of the native native uh cryptids there entities things ghouls i wanted to ask you guys now that we've heard all three of today's little stories that i had prepared and that kamu provided some great context for natalia maybe i'll start with you because you were flying blind for this episode you didn't know any of the topics we were going to talk about which one is your favorite well that's hard to say i liked a lot of them um including the ones that Kamu was talking about from his own personal experience. I The Night Marchers I really like because it seems like it's sort of a universal experience by everyone there, you know? And I feel like it could just be part of your day, you know? Like, oh, what were you doing yesterday? And it's like, oh, well, I was, like, playing video games. But then the Night Marchers came and I had to, you know, sign off early. Sorry. Like, you could use it almost as like this universal expression like sorry i'm late there was a procession you know like late for (laughs) dinner or something like that um 
And I like that everyone accepts it. Like, it seems like Kamu was saying his grandmother accepted it. Like, she was like, you need to go to bed. You know, there's a procession outside or there's bad men outside. Um, and then also Alyssa was telling me about Taryn said she saw one. So, or not mm-hmm. saw one, but avoided one. Um, and I like the idea of you're not supposed to be where it is because you're yeah like so it's like you not seeing it is this universal shared thing i like it that's i like the night marchers a lot yeah i feel like there could be some really good fan art of night marchers of what they look like oh well i actually wanted to say one more night marcher story if you're interested uh this is i actually saw the night marchers from a distance oh Um, describe what they looked like well I don't, I like to, when I tell stories and such, I like to omit certain details Mm -hmm. because that way for those that really did experience it, they'll say like, did it have this or did it have that? So then that's how we, I know that this is legit and such. When I was a kid, I remember we were driving home when it was really late one night and I happened to look up along a ridge and strung out along this mountain ridge was a row of lights and beans and such and it just so happened that that ridge was where my father's friend saw the hawaiian messenger Mm. run into so i explained what i saw to um others and i found out that what i saw was not just the night marchers but it was the god and demigod version of the night marchers which i did not realize existed and this was brought to my attention so there's different sets of night marchers i was told and i just saw that one instead of the act uh instead of the ones that people know with the elite And I, you know what, I had read, um, I didn't include it in my um, little blurb about the Night Marchers, but I had read an account from someone who claimed to have seen the Night Marchers, but it was from a safe distance. And they described it as almost like a series or like a trail of fire ants coming down a mountain because of the torches. And I thought that was such interesting imagery. Yeah, the... The closest I could see was, I believe it was the 13th Warrior with Antonio Bendetta's, where they actually had uh, one of, it was like a fire creature or something that they stated, but it ended up being them running down the mountain with like torches or in a procession. So that's what I also imagine as well. So so creepy and scary, but also beautiful and intriguing. I just, I love, I love it all. Me too. Well, let me. Great episode, Alyssa. Thank you. And Kamu. Uh, let me read my sources. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Um, my sources for this episode are Wikipedia, as always. Also, an article entitled Hawaiian Ghost Spirits and the Stories That Keep Them Alive, written by T.R.A. K. Toltzman for BigIslandPulse.com. Also, an article entitled The Bizarre Mystery Monsters of Hawaii, published to MauiSaltAndSage.com. An article entitled Friday Night Frights, The Legend of Hawaii's Night Marchers by Diane Lee for Honolulu Magazine, featuring consultations with Lopaka Kapanui. 
An article entitled The Story Behind Hawaii's Most Haunted House is Beyond Terrifying by Megan Shute for OnlyInYourState.com. An article entitled These Six Urban Legends in Hawaii Will Keep You Awake at Night by Megan Shute for OnlyInYourState.com. An article entitled The Mythical Truth of the Kasha of Kaimaki by Lopaka Kapanui for GhostsNextDoor.blogspot.com. An article entitled The Sacred Spine by Shannon Wianeki for MauiMagazine.net. An article entitled The Mo'o of Makua and the Shark Man of Kupua of Kaniana Cave, published to malamamakua.org. An article entitled Kupua, published to kumukahi.org. An article entitled Moku Ula, a Native Hawaiian sacred site is being restored, written by Nancy and Leonard Becker for sacred-sites.org. An article entitled Hawaii's Mo'o, Tiny Gecko, Seductive Woman or Water Dragon, published to visitcryptoville.com. Mysteries of Honolulu Facebook page. Pages 92 and 93 of the book Suspense Theater by authors Cheryl A. Harstadt and James R. Harstadt. Um, this article had the original transcript of the 1927 Kaimaki House article. An article entitled Police Officer Describes Ghostly Encounter at Polly Lookout by Web Staff published to khan2.com. Um, a scholar, uh, scholarly journal entitled Culture and Death, A Multicultural Perspective by Panagiotti Pintari. An article entitled Kaimaki House, Amityville's Haunted House in Hawaii, written by ADM for the website en.rumahmisteri.com. And of course, we had invaluable insight and experiences given by Kamu during this episode. And I also listened to his podcast, Legends from the Pacific, to get more information on all three topics covered this episode. So now all I have are final thoughts. So Kamu, any final thoughts or stories that you would like to share in this outro for today's episode before we get into anything else you'd like to promote and the sign-off, which we'll talk about at the very end? There's tons of stories, tons of investigations I've done. So it's just talking about all of them just floods to my mind. Uh, basically, if you're interested in that, uh, I honestly think that the Hawaiians in closing were very respectful with the land and they're, they believe that they are custodians of the land because no one could ever own so something so beautiful physically. Mm -hmm. The only things that owned the land were the gods and the Hawaiians felt it was their duty to look after and preserve the land, which is why we ended up this lack of land ownership was what caused us Hawaiians to lose the land. But, um, and that's unfortunate, but that was the whole thing. And I think that, uh, we were talking before about how I'm able to just go through things, just being fearless and such. And I, it's just the whole thing of, I just being respectful about things. Even if you encounter something, it's like, Hey, sorry. You know, it's like no big deal and such. Um, but yeah, uh, I can't really, with all my investigations and all my stories, it's just, it's tough to find one to, to really yeah. close on. Mm -hmm. so. Well, I would say if anybody is interested in hearing more of those stories, definitely visit Legends from the Pacific on any platform that you listen to podcasts, because at the end of all the, t of the topics that you cover, 
you go in with a personal story, which I think is really cool. Mm -hmm. You'll talk about personal experiences that you've had or different anecdotes that people have told you. And I think that that makes your show really unique. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And thank you for being a listener. Yeah, absolutely. Natalia, do you have any closing thoughts you'd like to share? Yeah, I mean... Hawaii seems kind of fucked up. (laughs) I've only been there two times. And the times that I was there, I was on vacation. um, And I was with my Hawaiian boyfriend at the time. And he was kind of like showing me around the islands and stuff. And I remember him vaguely saying like, you know, there's like spiritual parts of this. But I kind of like skimmed over those because I was like, I'm on vacation. I just want to hang out by the beach and like ride this canoe or whatever. Take a picture. Um, but now I'm realizing like maybe I narrowly escaped the night marcher several times and didn't know. Maybe I narrowly escaped seeing a um one of those haunted dragons that lives in the ocean. I don't know. Maybe. You know, it's uh the the Mai Tai yeah. has helped. <laughs> yeah. Well Natalia, yeah. do you want to explain to Kamu how to do our sign off? Oh, sure. So, Kamu, at the end of every episode, we do a sign-off where we say, BRB, gotta go, and then we do a callback to the episode. So, um, if you would like to do our sign-off, you just say, BRB, gotta go, and whatever. An example, I'll say one. How about this? Uh, BRB, gotta go get butt naked and put my (laughs) head face down so I don't uh, offend the night marchers. BRB, gotta go brush my hair seductively on a rock. BRB, gotta go jump into the horizon into the Yes, afternoon. beautiful. Perfect. Yes. Bye. All right.